Hi, I'm Tom Bosworth and you're listening to Level Playing Field. Welcome back to Level Playing Field. Level Playing Field is my podcast, my name is Randy Boos, where I interview LGBTQ sports personalities. This episode, I have world record holder, race walker, all-around great guy, Tom Bosworth. Tom was a lot of fun to talk to. We talked growing up in England, we talked various sports, we talked coming out to his family and friends and to his team, we talked Olympics, we even talked about his dog, Jessica. I hope you enjoy our time, hope you learn a lot, and I hope you're entertained. Without further ado, here is Tom Bosworth. Let's start with the very beginning. Where were you born? So I was born uh, just south of London in England, obviously. Um, and uh, yeah, grew up there until until I was 19. Uh, your parents' names? My mum and dad are called Lindsay and Julian. And I've got one sister uh, called Emily, who's just got engaged, actually. Oh, nice. What is the earliest memory you have as a child? Oh, off the top of my head, it's actually probably my grandparents um, buying me and my sister a little trampoline for, for the garden. And we must have been oh, six or seven. And, and uh, that's actually how I got into sport was uh, through, through trampolining. Oh, really? So that's the sport you actually did? Yeah, I did a bit of gymnastics because of that uh, and tried some trampolining before I tried any athletics. Was sports a big part of your life growing up? No, no, not so much. My parents, uh, they encouraged me and my sister to kind of uh, try some musical instruments, and which I found I was not very good at. I did try the piano, but yeah, it didn't last long at that. Um, yeah, same here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they just encouraged us to keep fit, have fun, and uh, meet, meet new people through, through different things like that. And, and we went down to the local athletics club. That was, that was one way of doing it. Okay. What was it like for you in primary school? Primary school, uh, I, I love primary school, to be honest. I think, uh, hopefully most kids do. Uh, I, I had a great little uh, upbringing. Me and my sister went to the same same school and we, um, yeah, it, it was brilliant. I think uh, my parents chose chose primary school well. It set us up, uh, set us up well with a good education. Oh, so over in, the, in England, you get to choose where you go for the most to part? To an extent, to an extent. Um, like uh you you i guess you can put down your your first choice um but it all depends on where you live how far the local schools are whether you're going to go private and pay for the education or or or, or, you know mainstream public okay do primary schools have um specialties or is that more of when you get into the older schools and older grades uh, yeah, that's that's mostly when you get older. Our primary school, you, uh, you leave at, um, at 11 years old. So um, I think you get a much greater experience, at, I guess, more sport and probably even more subjects to study at primary school if you pay, um, which I imagine is quite common in, in America as well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, um, yeah, no, it's quite it's quite general. So you're doing gymnastics early. How long did you do that? Um, I, you know, I, I kept I kept that in my in my uh, life until I was sixteen, because again I had some good friends in it, and uh, I wasn't brilliant, but I, I I wasn't bad at it, so it was quite fun, and I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of went down to the athletics track twice a week as well from about the age of twelve. Um, that was kind of where I also started to get interested in sport. And is that when you started the track, the sport yeah. the track, or? Yeah, pretty much. I joined uh, my local club, which was Tunbridge Athletics Club, when I was 11, uh, because my sister did. And my, my, again, my mum just encouraged us to, to do more sport. And uh, yeah, I tried everything from walking, running, the long jump, cross country, and found uh, I was pretty much rubbish at everything I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Now, when did you start to realise that your interests weren't into girls, but into boys. 
Uh, I think my earliest memory of that probably is as I was coming to the end of, of primary school. So probably quite young. Like I think some people might be quite surprised. I think I, I don't think you can put a label on it because I don't think you really know. Uh, you don't really understand anything um, in that area at that age. But I remember being about nine or ten and thinking, oh, I, qu- I quite like him. Um, and, and then thinking, oh, I wonder whether I, I should be thinking that about a girl rather than a boy. You know, I, I wasn't think, suddenly thinking, oh, I'm gay. But I, I suddenly started considering, like, oh, I wonder whether this is normal or what this is, you know. So this was probably, what, late 90s, early 2000s when you were? Yeah, this was I would have, yeah, I would have been 10 in 2000. Was there bullying going on or was um, it more? Because I, you know. I've sort of been a fan of England since I was young. So I sort of have it as my like utopian society and I, I don't really picture bullying happen, but <laughs> did it happen for you or were you labeled? Cause I imagine you didn't come out until later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, at that age it was, it was just what was going on in my head, a, a few new questions and a few new feelings and, and at that point, you know, that there, there was bully, there's bullying all, all the way through school. Even even here in wonderful England, there is <laughs> there is plenty of bullying. And um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, at primary school level, I avoided it pretty pretty well. You know, and I was pretty average at everything, which kept you out of trouble. So, um, but but as I got a little bit older and and started to kind of realise that maybe I I was gay and. Uh, uh, I it's I started getting bullied quite um, quite often. I mean, through into our high school, like uh, age fourteen, fifteen, I I told a couple of friends, close friends, uh, that I thought I was gay. I mean, I I'm not overly camp. Uh, I don't think it's quite obvious with me, uh, at least not when I was younger. Um, and I think uh, uh, if I hadn't told anybody, I probably could have almost got away with it i don't like that term but um i could no, i know what you mean yeah i could have got under the radar and, and got through school okay but i didn't and I, and I did tell a couple of people about age 13 14 um who after a few weeks then then outed me to the rest of the school which did start a really tough period of my life where unfortunately yeah i was i was pretty bullied bullied pretty badly until i was about 17 and uh violently and and verbally so yeah, it's certainly. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I hear all these stories of kids nowadays, and especially LGBT kids taking their own life and that. And I look at it now and think, it it quite literally either makes you or it kills you. Yeah. How how did your did your parents help you deal with that, or is that not something you, you would bring up to them? Yeah, no, I, I kept it hidden from my parents um, until I decided to come out to them when I was 21. Um, I, di- I only did that again because I had a reason to, because I'd met my my now fiancé, Harry. Uh, I had a reason to come out to them. But I was from, partly p- because of bullying, probably media as well. I, I had the idea that my parents were going to disown me and they didn't want anything to do with me. For me, that that my parents are quite old. So uh, my dad was 40 when, when he had me. So they're they're quite old old school sort of, of parenting and, and I thought oh goodness I'm gonna just I'm gonna let them down I can't tell them that they're gonna completely disown me so as I was a teenager I just kept it all hidden and um, and yeah I, I didn't really tell anybody about the bullying at all. Was it ever a thing in the locker room when you were at events or was it um, just mainly at school? It was it was mostly at school because what I quickly learned was right I need to keep this quiet out of the rest of my life and and kind of started putting a bit of an act on and tried to act straight in a way you know so I wouldn't draw any attention and luckily my my friends outside of school weren't the same ones that I had in school so there wasn't that crossover so I almost kind of lived two lives for for a good few years um and some of my closer friends, as we got older, towards 17, 18, they started to guess and I didn't have girlfriends and stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I kept it away and I kept it away from sport, any of the sport I did as well. So you said this was near London, right? Yeah, literally ju- just south of it, yeah. And so you're still within 
I mean, you're still considered a big town, aren't you? Yeah, where I where I grew up is, uh, uh, you know, it, it is a town. It's not it's not a city, but it, it's it's like a, you know, you could thirty minutes on on a train and you're in in the centre of London. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, the transit system there is amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you start to talk about this? Did your sister know at the time, or did you keep it from her as well? Yeah, no. Again, I, I kept it from Emily as well. I think I told her maybe when I, when I moved out. I told her when I moved north. I moved to go to university in Leeds, which is up the north um, of the country. And um, my sister also went to the same uh, or a, a different university in the same city, and she she moved up there and stayed up there. So so when I moved, I, I kind of opened up to her and told and told her as well what was going on. So. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't deal with it. I guess um, for a long time, it was something that even when I got with my fiance Harry, he um, he had to help. I guess support me through it in a way that I because I never ever got through it as a child. Um, I did. Uh, you know, self harm and things like that was was something that I did. Because oh, really? Of, you know, kids told me if we saw you in the street, my dad would burn you alive. And, and, you know, we, we would, uh, we, we would be a dis- complete disappointment to your friends, to your family. Um, you know, it, it, it got, it got very, very dark and, and kids can be nasty, you know? Um, oh yeah. They just jump on anything. And, and that was, that was a big, big deal for me. And, and yeah, getting beaten up and, and that was pretty much three years worth of, of my life. And so that was, you said, what, roughly, you were 13 to 16, something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And so that's mid-2000s. I mean, on in pop culture, I mean, you're starting to see more LGBT characters at this time. I mean, I think Skins was around at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, goodness me. Uh, there was probably two years later that that, that came about, and, and that was probably my first real... Uh, I guess doorway into the LGBT world um, uh, through Skins. I absolutely loved it. My friends loved it. We went to one of the big Skins parties in the in the centre of London. You know, as I got a bit older, it was uh, yeah. It, that was the first bit of media I guess I, I had ever seen. My parents were quite protective, not overly protective, but um, you know they didn't want to expose me and my sister to too much. But as kids, you know, we, we, as you do, you grow up, you go and um, investigate and, and and find your own ways about uh, about the world oh yeah and then you're in the the age of the internet too so it, it helps it makes it easier i'd imagine yeah that was that was you know again even we didn't have wireless internet in our home until it makes us sound so backwards but uh, my parents <laughs> weren't so bothered with technology more than anything and uh they didn't want us to sit on on the internet all day long we weren't allowed computers in our room or anything like that so um uh, I guess we, we, we live quite a sheltered life. And so when I moved and moved to a young, vibrant, actual city in Leeds, uh, that was a very student city. It was kind of a bit like the world opening up to me. That must have been a crazy time for you then. Yeah, it was really exciting because, uh, you know, I, I went back to my own home and and went back. I didn't have any parents to answer to. I, I could stay up as late as I wanted to go out wherever <laughs> I wanted and yeah, do exactly whatever I wanted. And so when did you move to Leeds? Uh, I was 19, so in 2009. Okay. And so you're, is this when your training with uh, race walking really kicks in, or have you yeah. already? Yeah. Uh, as this is all going along, like about 17, at age 17, 18, I, I, I guess I stopped growing, started to get a bit stronger, and started to get a bit faster, and made the British team as a junior athlete um, in 2008. And... Uh, yeah, from there, the ball really started rolling quite quickly, which was exciting. And that was the reason I chose Leeds was because uh, there was a the, the, the national coach was based at the university there and um, and offered us a place to study as as basically my my grades had kind of gone down down the drain a little bit um, as I was reaching seventeen eighteen because I wasn't interested in school. Obviously, I, I pretty much hated school as you can imagine. Oh, uh, totally. And so, <laughs> and so lost a lot of focus on it. Um, so thankfully, due to the due to 
making it as a GB junior athlete, I got a place at university, which which was a blessing in disguise. Oh, cool. Now, 2012 London hosts the Olympics. Yeah. Was there dreams at that time of making the team or even then were you cautious of being overly excited for the chance? Yeah, all, all, I remember all year we um, we just obviously had the, that was it. That was the focus. Uh, I knew I had to I compete over 20 kilometers so like almost half a marathon and uh, and I knew I had to take I think about three minutes off my personal best to um, to qualify for the Olympics for the British team, and I I missed I missed the qualifying time by 19 seconds oh, in the geez. end, which was absolutely gutting. But um, um, it, it, I I say that that is that was a turning point in my career because I'd worked so hard to make it, I'd improved by so much, and I still didn't make it. It it was heartbreaking. Um, and but it but it it set a fire alight in in me and and uh, to reach uh, the the next level which I don't think I ever dreamt of and um, uh, eventually making the Olympics again four years later. No, but going back to the London Olympics, I think I read somewhere that you actually were able to carry the torch. Yeah, that's was right. that for London? Yeah, so the Olympic torch. Um, How does that happen? Them, one of my sponsors actually put me forward. So it was uh, Lloyd's Bank uh, used to sponsor me and they put me forward because um, I'd done a lot of volunteering and appearances and stuff for them. And uh, and, I, and I got picked uh, and I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I had this missed call on my phone like every day for about two weeks off this weird number. And I was like, I'm not answering this phone. Cool. I don't know who this is. And eventually I did answer. <laughs> and... And they told me, oh, you'll be running with the Olympic torch uh, in, in a month's time if you want. So I was like, oh, that's even though I didn't make the Olympic Games, that was an amazing kind of kind of mini mini result from it. That's cool. So you still had a part of it in 2012. Yeah, exactly. So you missed 2012 Olympics. When does training start for 2016? Well, you I know, mean, every, are... every year in athletics, there's, there's a major championships. But um uh, so it was more just gaining as much experience over the next four years as I could and keep getting as fast as possible, really. And, and it was over those next four years that I just, again, went on so, so many, so many kind of teams and made world championships, European championships, um, which set, set me up nicely to be far better prepared, experienced. I qualified with ease for Rio and, uh, yeah, as soon as kind of 2015 ended all focus was on 2016 and every day I just remember thinking every day was sacrificed for, for, for those Olympics so yeah I, I don't mean to skip over all the stuff that you've done um because you're right there's world championships there's British championships commonwealth games then you you also race in the diamond league right yeah, yeah, I oh, that was because of Rio. Because I finished sixth in Rio, um, I said to kind of the organisers in the UK, I said, "Look, you put on every other event in the Diamond League. Why don't you give me a chance and and put on a race walk and put the first ever race walk on in the Diamond League?" So that was so cool. Oh, that's cool. And then I also saw that you've done, you challenged a runner for the <laughs> Diamond League. Yeah, so that was again kind of off the back of that, and uh, the runner was actually a good mate of mine. Um, uh, I met him through um, a couple of the other runners and said, "Do you want to take on this challenge on TV where you run fifteen hundred meters and I'll walk a K, and we'll see who gets there gets to the finish line first. Um, yeah, it was a brilliant idea, a bit of fun, and, and yeah, just a bit of a laugh. How did that go over with the crowd? Um, well, I think to start with, they're a bit like, "What on earth are we watching?" <laughs> But then as soon as the last, like we, we picked those distances on purpose because we knew it'd be really close at the end. Um, and so as soon as it, as soon as it got into the, the second lap and Adam had to chase me down, uh, the crowd absolutely went nuts to see who would get there first. So um, and thankfully I, I got to the finish line first. Yes. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that was awesome. So well, let's lead up to the 2016 games. When did you come out to your family? Uh, 2011, so I was 21. Okay, so you came out before London. Yeah. 
How did that go over? Because you, with the age, were were they just sort of old fashioned for just because of age, or was it a religious thing? No, it was it was only only because of age. Um, my mum's a little bit religious, but wouldn't doesn't let that really affect her judgment at all. Um, uh, yeah, it it wasn't easy. It was difficult, and I knew my I knew actually my mum would would find it more more challenging um and it took her a little while and she asked some strange questions and uh, it, it did take her a little while we didn't really speak very much for a few months um but but you know she she came around she i know she googled some questions and stuff and because i the things she was telling me i was like mom get off get off the internet yeah just just get off and don't look at images for them image yeah, well, like um <laughs> She she just uh, she just was worried. She her her immediate reaction was, "Oh, you'll never get a job," and and all this. And I'm like, "Mum, it's 2011. It's it's not 1970." Um, like I'm hoping nowadays we can. I, I'm more likely probably to get a job is what my response was to her. Um, and yeah, so she was just really worried about me and really worried. You know, I oh, would 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 I have a family? have I found anybody I really care about or will I ever find anyone who loves me? Um, so yeah, she, she just was worried. Just being a mom. Yeah, precisely. And then you, how did you meet Harry? Um, we were, I was up visiting a friend in York. Um, we decided to go to a, go to a club for a few drinks and that. And, uh, there was this very loud stag party, um, uh, in the same in the same club and and we were like oh we've just come for a few quiet drinks let's should we just leave but then my friend who is a girl decided to hit on harry because she quite fancied him <laughs> uh, and i was like mm, i've got the inkling that i don't think he's going to be interested uh and he politely turned her down but he but she got really upset by him saying what do you mean i'm not your type uh and i was like oh Lydia you need to wake up and realize something here uh anyway so we happened to bump into these people this group later on in, in the night and uh I kind of went over to to Harry and and he bought him a drink we chatted away and uh, that was kind of how we met we then arranged to meet up again the following week and um and what are we eight years later we're we're engaged got a house got a dog and oh yeah, we'll talk about Jessica. <laughs> That'll be later. So then, how how are you struggling, or not maybe not struggling, but how are you dealing with having a relationship with Harry, being an athlete, going to events? Are you able? Are you comfortable enough to bring him? Does he stay away? How does that all work? Yeah. So to to start with, uh, we were obviously quite a new relationship, and my teammates, the British team, you know. I, I never told them, but I never hid it either. If anybody asked, I'd say, yes, my fiance is called Harry uh, or my, my boyfriend's called Harry. Um, and yeah, as time went on, Harry became more interested in what I was doing. Um, at, at that age, I still was kind of a, an athlete student. I didn't know whether I was going to make it, you know. Um, it, uh, so as as it got a bit more serious and and as I started to achieve more over those next few years, Harry came along to more, he started coming to races, he would start to come abroad. And, and it happened at his first major championships he came to uh, was Rio. And, and, um, but, but, but before then, before Rio, I, I never really had any fame in the UK or any sort of in, interest because I hadn't really achieved anything of any great magnitude, you know. Um, I'd won a few British titles and that sort of thing, but it, I never drawn any real interest in at, at that point well yeah and it's also no offense but it's race walking so it's one of the lower track sports also so yeah, i imagine exactly. it, it is hard to get a footing and to be yeah, to be someone that is known so i guess that probably made it easier for you yeah 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 exactly i mean thank goodness i don't play football or soccer as you guys would call it yeah that would be a different story so in 2000 and is it 14 or 15 you are in Japan 
And uh, you're with your British team? Yeah, 2015, yeah. And that's when you sit down and tell the team you come out to them? Um, Is that how? I, I read it somewhere. No, no. Uh, 2015, I came out on, on, on public, uh, publicly on like TV um, at the end of, of uh, the year after the World Championships. But I kind of had already, I think I'd pretty much, I was comfortably open with the team. Um, again, as I said, I hadn't ever gone about shouting about it, but I never denied it. So I found myself at the point where the team knew, my, my training team at home in Leeds knew, family, new friends knew. So, and we were heading into Olympic years. So it, it kind of was like, and I was starting to get a little bit more media interest. So that kind of felt like the next step was to publicly come out. And how did that go over for you? Um, I, can't, I didn't really expect. I, I didn't know what the, what the world I was about to enter, basically. Um, I had no idea just what, first of all, what the, I didn't realise there was an issue with LGBT, uh, with the community and, and with sport and, and the problems that, that the community faces. Uh, I had no idea. So I was thrown in the deep end, but the reaction to it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it it was, went international and I couldn't really believe it. Like little old me was causing such a stir, but then it made me realise how big a thing a, a gay athlete is, um, which seems ridiculous because in any other line of work in society, it, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't go and slap it across national TV that your work colleague's gay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, yeah. I, I went home and uh, I looked at my phone and then I put my phone back down and just got into bed and pulled the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> and dealt with it the next day? Yes, and dealt with it the next day. My agent didn't really, couldn't, couldn't deal with the, the like, the, uh, the reaction to it. We didn't know how to deal with it. I was talking to Sid Ziegler yesterday from Outsports and we talked about how um, one of the fears that maybe agents or, or someone tell an athlete who might be coming out that there's no money in it, that you sometimes can lose money, but it seems just the opposite now. It seems like you get more attention and oh, you almost, 100%. you get more, more opportunities. Is that yeah. how it was for you? Oh, you know, definitely, definitely. It, we never, ever did it um, for money, attention. Oh, totally. No, I'm not saying that no. at all. No, I know. Uh, but, um, uh, and I'm not saying, oh, financially it's changed my life. So, you know, I'm a multimillionaire. It's not, that's not at all. But it, it, it gave a bit more when there's so many athletes, so, so much social media coverage of sport nowadays that you have to have a story. You have to have something else to you. And and that's kind of what it aided me, really. That's all that's all it was. And, and it just opened so many doors. People were interested in your experiences because there's so few international gay athletes or gay or lesbian athletes so um yeah it, I, I have no regrets of doing it um I'm, I'm so glad i have done it because i can't believe that i i've been able to be a role model to so many people by accident i, I i'm just me I, I i haven't tried to do anything different um and just by coming out and, and being honest um you know people message me still today saying thank you so much for just being you it gives me hope that one day I can be in the same situation you are and so on and and that motivates me as well so it was a, an all-round positive thing you know there's always going to be idiots on social media telling me that um one one god or the other is going to burn me in hell or something like that but you just block those people on social media and then you carry on so everything else is was so positive yeah, I, I would imagine. And yeah, the, the idiots on Twitter who just can't help themselves. It's the no, smartest I'm... thing to do is just block and move on. Yeah, that's the same across anything. It, it, there's all be, there'll always be somebody jealous of your success or your story or wanting to put you down. So uh, just remember that. <laughs> you come out on TV. What's your first event? Going into that event, do you notice any difference in how you feel? Do you feel like a weight's lifted off? Um. I have a quite quite a nice little sort of story that I tell nowadays because uh, the interviewer asked me uh, whether um, she thought this would change my life in any way, and I 
uh, I said, no, it, it, it won't. Because as I said, my family, friends, everybody knows it, my inner circles. Are, it's not going to change anything. There's not going to be any shock anywhere. Um, boy, was I wrong. Like, uh, it may be coincidence, my age and when I was going to peak anyway. But from that, mo- from that season on, uh, my results just changed and, and I moved on a, another level. And, and I say, I told people now, maybe there was that five or 10% of my energy and that focused on, on hiding who I was on social media, at races, in interviews. And rather than focusing on the result of training or the race or, you know, recovery, it was worrying about what people were going to think about my sexuality that I didn't even know I was wasting energy worrying about it. That's, that's then gone. And 100% of my energy can be focused on training hard, racing hard, and, and hopefully winning. You know, uh, that next year, I broke, I think it was something like four British records in the first four races I did, winning all four of them, and ended up sixth at the Olympic Games, being ranked 27th. So it wasn't a bad year to follow up. Yeah, let's talk about your records right now. This has all happened since you've come out, which, like yeah. you said, it could be age, it could be that. It's probably a little of everything. Yeah. But you have the British records in the 3, 5, 10, and 20-kilometer races? Yes. Is that yeah. correct? And then you have the – do you still have the world record in the one mile? Yeah, one mile and <laughs> the 3,000 meters as well, indoors and outdoors. So they're two different times. So you've really come into your own, and I'd imagine 2020 is just exciting for you. Yeah, 100%. I kind of just want 2019 out of the way, to be honest. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it, exactly. It feels like it's all co- all coming together for, for these next kind of 18 months or so. It's going to be a big, big 18 months. I bet. So let's talk about, though, going back into the 2016 Rio games. Yeah. Um, so you get to Rio, you know, you've had a season where you've obviously seen success. Your form is coming in, which, by the way, race walking form is very unique yeah uh, the rules that you have to follow the it, what one foot on the ground for most of the time i mean yeah and you have to land with a straight leg as well so you can't bend your leg um and then you actually had were leading a race right and you were disqualified was that before rio or was that after no that yeah that was um that was the year after at the london uh, World Athletics Championships. So, um, yeah, that, again, was pretty public. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sorry, that sort of took me out of the timeline. Um, yeah, so Rio, you get to Rio. How is it to walk in the opening ceremonies? Do you remember any of it? Um, well, I, 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 didn't go, I didn't do the opening ceremony, unfortunately, um, because I wasn't even in the country at that point. We were still up at altitude, um, training hard so uh yeah the athletics or team gb were like we don't really want you going which makes sense to be fair it's a shame but it it, it makes sense as they're your final preparations and so so I, di- I did go to the closing ceremony and um and that was it even though it absolutely poured down with rain that was insane how how many races did you race in in rio it, uh, in rio in the olympics it was just it was just one just the 20k um there's obviously just that one-off race. Oh, okay. I thought there were more than that. Uh, there's, um, there's, in the walks, there's 20K and there's 50K, but I'm not an idiot. I wouldn't do 50K. <laughs> <laughs> so what day did you arrive in the Olympics then? Do you remember? Um, so we flew in um, halfway through it, three days three days before my race. So Because, uh, again, they wanted to keep us out of the village, out away from distractions, away from temptations and and uh, the free mcdonald's um yeah and so i can't I, the date i can't remember but yeah it was only three days before i raced oh okay were you there like i don't know if you remember this but during rio there was the one reporter and i forget from what magazine he was from but he did a story where he used grinder as oh yes were you there for that as an out athlete it was obviously different for you because you didn't have to deal with that but for the athletes who were not out, I'd imagine it was stress for them. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I remember tweeting about it because I, I saw it that the next day after it happened or after it hit in the press. And I was just disgusted by it. And it, if I'd seen him, I, I, I would have 
well, I, to be fair, I would have probably gathered a few athletes up and 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 made sure he knew knew his place in, in this world because it, it, that was scum. In my in my opinion, it, he he is the lowest of the low, and to try and do that purely for for his own benefit of a of a news story to out athletes, which is again goes back to the whole reason why I'm so pleased I did come out was because it was such it shows it's such an issue still. Even in 2016, um, that at that Olympic Games, there was a reporter there trying to out athletes. It was disgusting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and the media likes to use it as a way to get clicks online or yeah, exactly. Or articles read. Since 2016, you've been vocal on a few things. One I want to talk about was you and John Amici got together and talked about. Was it gay athletes in soccer or football? Uh, yeah, that was part of it. We were both invited to um, our British Parliament, um, to the Culture, Media and Sport Committee to give our experiences, our opinions on kind of the challenge that, that is being LGBT in sport and, um, you know, supporting the Football Association, the FA, in, in encouraging footballers to come out or how, about, how they would even go about that. How do you get invited to that? Is that by your local MP or? Uh, yeah, that that just was a, it was a, a email or a letter to my agent. It was a letter, I think, to my agent inviting me um, down to the committee. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure, but it, it came, it would have come from one of the um, uh, MPs on that committee. And then also you want, you talk about your, um, well, actually, let me go back to that. How did that go over in the British press? Uh, yeah, it, it was mostly, again, mostly good. But again, uh, on on social media, a lot of the headlines and, and that that were used over the articles were very short and out of context. So we would receive uh, responses and, and tweets saying, oh, wh- like, what do you know? Why would you say something as silly as, oh, their life? Would, I don't know. The, the headline would be their life will be better when they come out. It's completely taken out of context. Uh, you know, I would have said everything that I have in this interview, like once their family knows, their teammates, their friends, then they'll be in the position that they could come out. But, you know, people on social media just read the headline. They wouldn't click on the article. <laughs> and, and the headline is usually misleading anyways. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, it, it was good. But there's a lot of this, this attitude on social media as well that nobody cares. It's not newsworthy which is great. That, that's brilliant. Nobody should care and it shouldn't be newsworthy, but it is newsworthy and no footballers are coming out in this country because uh, I, I don't know why, but I would put it down to the why of the turn of the fans within the stadiums, the, the slating on social media, whether they would, you know, I, I hope it wouldn't be the case, but whether they'd even get picked for a national team or a team, you know, all those worries will be going through their heads. Yeah, I'm a Crystal Palace fan and... Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, you won't like the score today then. I know, I saw. I woke up early. Um, <laughs> and of course, the lose to Brighton, which is a rival. Yeah, and, but, anyways, off topic. Um, <laughs> it is interesting to see how there is a large group of people that are totally supportive of Proud and Palace, the LGBT uh, supporter club for Palace. And, but you still get the people who, when they bring in the flag or. Uh, just online who just they like you said they use the excuse of well it doesn't matter no one cares and but obviously it does if they're spouting off and and just saying these these things i mean so it's still a long way to go and especially for football you know in the u.s we have colin martin who came out for minnesota it's a mls team but Um, in um, the uk you have what ryan atkin as a ref Yep, and that's it. Yeah, that is that is it. Uh, there's a few ex footballers. Um, Rogers used to play for Leeds United, but uh, actually plays in the states now, or did? Well, he, yeah, uh, he's a producer now, but that's off topic. <laughs> and uh, Thomas Hitzelsberg as well played for Aston Villa, but again is now retired. Yeah, do you find track is obviously much more accepting? I would imagine. Not hundred percent. And I guess it's just cultures because it seems like rugby is also one of those sports that's more accepting for the most yeah, part. I mean, rugby, which is such a, a brutal, 
brutal world, if you want to go stereotypical man's game, um, yeah, you have quite a few uh, out players and, and referees. And, and uh, it, I guess because it, it's happened, it, it, the fans aren't going to start using that as ammunition or, or you know, it's just, it, it's as we'd like it to be. It's, it, there's nothing to say about it. And, and that's how it should be. So it's bizarre that football can't get there. Yeah, I, it will eventually, but just a matter of time, I guess. So let's see, your season just started. I yep. watched your YouTube videos of your training in South Africa. Cool. How was the time in South Africa? Oh, yeah, I love it there. Um, we go there, it's warm, a bit of altitude, get away from our British winter, get away from the rain and the wind. And yeah, it was it was perfect. So we put plenty of miles away and, and trained hard. What made you want to do the YouTube stuff? Um, well, I only planned to do it in the Rio year because I wanted to document kind of the Olympic year. Um, uh, then did it in, in 2017 just because a few people enjoyed it and it kind of was a nice way to document what I, what I did. Um and then, as we mentioned briefly, I was disqualified at the leading the World Championships in London, which kind of was a real challenge for me because it was so public and it was it was a it was a gold medal or a medal opportunity gone, and um, and that was that was really really tough to take. Um, and so, I kind of just enjoyed enjoyed making the videos. I, I don't get massive views on it, but I don't you know I don't promote it like. Um, like that but now it's more kind of for me it's I've looked back and over the last four years I've now got a kind of video diary of, of everything I've done races and places I've been which is really cool which I can show family friends and maybe my kids one day yeah it's and it's such a positive thing it's really encouraging to watch and like I said I've enjoyed them I will continue to enjoy them it's it shows your personality it shows your training you talk about events um, yeah, exactly. And so I mean, it, and now you're doing product reviews. I saw. Yeah, product reviews, and and because I, I get I get quite a lot of companies wanting to kind of, uh, uh, you know, offer me up some some things to try. And I've just recently been uh, using Oatly oat milk, which um, only because I've I can't drink cow's milk anymore, um, and so I've accidentally fallen in love with that. So that's kind of featuring in my videos by accident. <laughs> So as we start to get ready for 2020, this season is just starting and it goes till when? Roughly um, for you? Uh, the last race will be October. It's quite a long season this year. The World Champs are in Doha in October. And then when will, when do national team selections happen for, for track? For um, 2020? For 2020, that won't be until... Uh, Ooh, June or July next year. It's only a month before. Oh, okay. So it happens right before. So you have yeah. a long ways to go. Yeah, but um, you know, our our qualifying period opens from now, so we can set qualifying marks. But then, as uh, you know, in the states, it's you guys. You have your first three across the line, but um, in the UK, it's the first two across the line get those automatic places if they've qualified. Um, plus. Uh, and then like the third place is up for selection. Like there's a panel that meets, which then picks, you know, if three or four other people have the qualifying time, then they'll they'll have to unfortunately pick just one of them. So um, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But right now, it's uh, every race means something because it means I can qualify for the Olympic Games. Well, every twenty k race is. Oh okay. What do you see in the for the future of race walking? Sports always changing. Olympics are always changing events. Yeah, yeah. The event is as well. It's 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 up in the air a little bit. Uh, I know the IWF are wanting to make some changes to it, um, but to be fair, as athletes, we just have to kind of carry on and uh, um, and what will whatever changes they'll make, whether they change the actual distances that we do. You know, I, I train up to kind of 25, 30K anyway. So for me, they've changed the, the distances from 20 and 50K to 10 and 30. That won't make much difference to me. And, and again, they're thinking about bringing technology in to judge kind of that, that what's called called lifting in race walking, where they have both feet off the ground for too long and that are visible. 
Uh, and as soon as that is, uh, if they bring in technology for that as well, you know, you just have to adapt. Um, that's all I've ever done in my life is adapt to, to each challenge that's come my way. And this will just be, be another one. But hopefully by then I might have an Olympic medal around my neck. And, uh, and to be honest, if I've got that, I won't really care. <laughs> True. Do you think they'll ever bring in relays and shorter distances like the one mile or for the shorter attention span of people now? (laughs) Well, I know, I know. Um, You know what? I think that's, I think that's just the thing right now with this whole argument of a short uh, kids and that won't sit down and and watch the longer stuff when, when park runs and people love marathons and people will watch these ultra events and stuff like that. uh, I think it's just a, a phase right now. So um, I'd love them to bring in some shorter races, but I think you might see that in the Diamond Leagues and, and a bit more TV meets or fun fun, fun sort of events like that. But I don't think you'll ever see see that in the Worlds or, or Olympics. Oh, okay. Um, so let's talk about Jessica. <laughs> yes. When did Jessica, by the way, for people listening, is um, Tom's dog. Is it a black lab? Yeah, that's right. It's a black lab. I'm a dog person, so. Um, Excellent. When did you get her? Um, so we went to the Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast last year in Australia. And I was away for like three months. And Harry was like, I've wanted a dog and you're always away. So let's get a dog. So, well, he said that before before that. And, and I was like, when I get back from the Commonwealth Games, um, we will get a dog. And I hoped he would forget, but he did. <laughs> so so we got a 10-week-old Jessica, pup, uh, Black Lab puppy. And um, she's my... She's basically my daughter. Like I would put her above any other human right now. <laughs> I understand. Do you have big plans to? Are you already finalizing your plans for Mary and Harry? Or um, no, I decided to buy a house and then did an extension and then bought um, just getting a new kitchen. So I means I've got no no money left to uh, to get married. So uh, <laughs> the plans probably uh, I'd like to uh, finally have the wedding um, in. Uh, after after the Olympic Games um, or like 2021 so you know only a five-year engagement I'm sure there's a movie about that yeah that's fine (laughs) it's all good you have a lot of things going on right now (laughs) yes yeah all right Tom let's uh wrap this up I have my final 20 questions it's a standard thing um there'll be some pop culture and then we'll do some other stuff so let me start out with who was your first celebrity crush oh um, not where uh, Mitch Hero who played Maxi in Skins. Oh, okay. Um, do you have a favorite podcast? Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, yeah, and everybody should listen in. It, it's Ross Murray's. He's a British, uh, a former British runner, Olympian, um, and he's just started recording them. And he gets like British athletes in all the time, so they're good to listen to in the car. Oh, nice. Um, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Uh, oh, um, uh, oh, what's his, what's his name? Uh, Freddie Mercury. Oh, nice. Having just watched Bohemian Rhapsody. Sweet. Who inspires you? Um, Harry and my, probably my first coach as well. Hey, I could talk to him a lot. What is the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? What if I... Well, to be fair, all we see right now is Brexit in the UK. So there's absolutely nothing interesting going on. Um, although, actually, no, I love space. So SpaceX's mission up to the International Space Station was pretty cool. Yeah, totally. Do you have a streaming obsession, a recent one, something on Netflix or? Um, oh, what, how, well, Game of Thrones is about to start. It's not on Netflix, but House well, of Cards. Well, any, anything. House of Cards, love that. Um, the British one or the US? Oh, US one. Um, and uh, uh, Peaky Blinders. Do you have that in the, in the US? Yes, we do. Excellent. What fictional character would you lo- most like to meet in real life? Peter Pan. Cool. <laughs> um, if animals could talk, which animal would be the most annoying? Um, the crocodile. um and then this sort of goes with the inspire question but do you have a hero you have a personal Uh, yeah my first coach 100 percent. cool now i'm going to go into a selection of questions from the tv show inside the actor studio um what is your favorite word 
Oh, how PG is this podcast? You can say whatever you want. Later in a few questions, it's going to be what's your favorite curse word. So. Oh, okay. Um, my my favorite word is um, oh, I don't know, uh, twat. Probably I use it okay. a lot. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Uh, faggot. Yeah. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Music. What turns you off? Women. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, uh, yeah, twat. Okay. That's what sound or noise do you love? Which what, sorry? What sound or noise do you love? Mm. My dog barking. What sound or noise do you hate? My dog barking late at night. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh. Formula One driver. Nice. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Uh, anything in an office. Um, final Inside the Actor Studio question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did well. Okay, and then um, this question is for the kids who might be listening. Um, if you can talk to a 12-year-old boy or girl who is um, coming to terms with who they are as they prepare to come out to their parents, to their friends, to the world, what would you want to say to them? Hang tight, I'd say. Keep, uh, you know, it's going to be incredibly challenging. But those challenges are going to make you. They are going to make you a better person, a more forgiving person, a more understanding person. And um, those those challenges are going to come, but they're also going to be matched by massive highs. And uh, and yeah, if you stick with it, you stick, keep going, uh, you keep digging, you're going to hit that diamond. And and. It may all just seem like dark soil that you're digging up right now, but one day you'll hit that diamond and I promise you it'll all be worth it. Cool. That's really cool. Thank you, Tom, so much for coming on. I, uh, no I wish you good luck in the U.S. next week. Thank you. And for the coming years leading up to 2020. Thank you. Um, it'll be nice to watch you in 2020 and know that I talked to you. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you yeah. very much for taking the time. I hope you enjoyed our time with Tom. I want to thank him again for coming on as a guest. Had a lot of fun. I also want to thank Eric Radford, who provided the music for our show. I can't thank him enough for taking the time and letting me use his music. Join me in the next episode when we have Chris Vaught. Thank you, and see you next time.